0: All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Good morning, it is Thursday, October 12th, 2023. Welcome to episode number 471, <laughs> wow, of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Brief. And I am your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, you, Francis Stockhill, Matthew Netchi, Sharice Lamb, Dale Frey, Carey, not only IT, Alana Boyajian, Stephanie Strauss, everybody over in LinkedIn, all the good folks here on YouTube, squad members, cybersecurity community members first-timers and long-timers. We're all going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my expert opinion and analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. So what can you do with it today? How can you, you know, fold this into your information security program? Or if you're looking to break into the industry, believe me, not only is it unbelievable networking and good exposure to terms and concepts but you will be asked in any cybersecurity job interview, how do you stay current in the industry? The Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Brief Podcast, in my humble opinion, is a banger of an answer. Now, before we get into the news, before we show you Thursday's Meme of the Week, which is also a banger, let me give a second and shout out, throw some love at the stream sponsor, starting with my good friend Eric Taylor and the whole team over at Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for business owners and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil, giving them tummy troubles. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Believe that. Check them out at BarricadeCyber.com. Links in the description below. Also want to throw some love. Switch it up today to my good friends, Anti-Siphon Training. Now, if you don't know about Anti-Siphon Training, they are the training arm of Black Hills Information Security, which if you don't know about Black Hills Information Security, gather around because you absolutely should. Black Hills InfoSec, Anti-Siphon Training, they're disrupting the traditional cybersecurity training industry by providing high-quality, cutting-edge education to everyone. And this is the kicker, regardless of financial position. That's right. They give students the opportunity to learn practical hands-on skills with uh, industry practitioner instructors who are awesome. Go to the link in the description below, just even as a bookmark. Go to training, pay what you can training. That's right, pay what you can. So if $0 is what you can pay, get in here, student. You can absolutely take this. Check the calendar events. They're always adding new content year-round. Pay what you can training. Don't sleep on this API hacking one. They kind of sneak it in here. API testing, I like it. Also, shout out, and love to Penopsi, but more about them at the mid-roll. Guys, if you didn't know, and I know Alana knows this, and Zach Cho may not know this, because Zach's relatively new. He's a recent uh, first-timer. Listen, if you didn't know it, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Brief is worth half a CPE, so that stacks up two and a half a week, 10 a month, be sure to say what's up in chat, take a screen cap, file it away in a little directory on your computer, and get those CPEs. Now, if you don't know what to say, let's get some easy wins here. Hashtag team live if you are live in chat. To, uh, oh, 130 of us? Wow, we're starting slow on a on a rainy day in the low country. But anyways, everybody can be, who's live gets a team live If you uh, are watching on replay, I love my team replay people. You guys are your own community all into yourself. Um, Hashtag team replay in the comment section. Thanks, Chris Weaver. As always for the minute markers that I pin to each news briefing later on in the day. And then finally, my favorite uh, currently, because I rotate a little bit. Hashtag. Hey, Casey. Thanks to the blue squad logo. Love it. Love it. Love it. Hey. If you are, uh, if it's your first time today, right? Zach Choate recently, War Goons recently. Guys, if it is your first episode today, you're like, what is this guy doing? This is crazy. Look at all this chat. Let us know it's your first time. Hashtag first timer in chat. Uh, and, you know, we got a sound effect for you and all the good stuff. So don't sleep on that. All right. As I mentioned Earlier, it is Thursday's meme of the week, so look for that at the mid roll. And, um, Marilyn, new here, we'll give Marilyn a hashtag first timer. Yes, welcome to the party, pal, Marilyn. Guys, I do not prepare or research any of these stories. Uh, the closest I see to them is clicking on uh links to open tabs up, and that's it. So, you're getting my honest reaction, my honest opinion. We're coming in hot. I got Thursday uh teaching today, so. And I have a guest lecturer, very excited. The Department of Homeland Security's Chief Information Security Officer is guest lecturing my class today. So I wanna get there early for him and be ready to rock and roll. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, and let's let the cool sounds of the hot news wash over us in an awesome wave. See you at the mid-roll. In the
1: CISO series,
0: it's cybersecurity headlines. Hey, thanks, Al Dowling.
1: Cybersecurity Headlines for Thursday, October 12th, 2023. I'm Rich Straffolino. 404 pages hijacked. Researchers at Akamai spotted this new campaign by the threat actors behind the Magecart payment skimmer. This hides JavaScript code in a comment on a site's 404 page. The threat actors combine this with a modification to other site pages to call on a non-existent folder, thereby sending users to the 404 page more often. While in some ways this attack remains consistent with Magecart attackers finding new ways to obfuscate code, researchers noted a call to a non-existent folder makes this a much more noisy attack approach than the group typically
0: employs. All right, hold on one second. Um, I'm a little confused over this. Um, So you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't get, I don't get them all right, guys. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I do know. And then I'm going to tell you where I get confused. And maybe if I read the story, it would make more sense to me, but check it out. Here's the deal. couple, couple things going on here that you need to know about. First of all, Magecart is a credit card skimming, um, malware slash threat actor group. They have been around, like, I feel like forever, right? So like, any time like just like when you hear there's like a cryptocurrency major robbery you think Lazarus group whenever you hear crypto um credit card skimming you should think Magecart like they have been around forever there were a couple other organizations that were doing credit card skimming type stuff but they've pivoted to ransomware but Magecart uh tried and true sticking with their credit card skimming stuff now you could see here um They're stealing credit card information from major websites. Now, here's what their new technique is. A 404 page, if you're not familiar, is if you try to access a resource that isn't on a website, right? So if you go to um, youtube.com, right? Watch, I'm going to go to youtube.com. No big deal, okay? Now, if I go to youtube.com slash Jerry, daily news is wicked cool, Nimeen, I mean, Exclamation point, right? I should get a four hundred four, right? So this is a four hundred four. I just tried to request something from the website that doesn't work. Now, um, if you haven't configured it with a special uh, return page, you get some kind of janky default web server one. You can see here, Google and YouTube has actually made a custom one where you can actually search. It looks like you're looking for something here. Try again. This is a convenience to the um, the visitor to the website. Now. Now that we understand what four oh fours are, typically it'll say like, "Oh, you know, like what you're looking for isn't here because these are kind of like dead end pages that a lot of um web you know, you set it up, and you never really think about it again. Um MageCard has discovered that you can basically put uh, JavaScript inside the comments of that web page. Now, a couple things here. One, you need to edit the web page, right? So they have to have access to the web server or the you know the web pages themselves this is not a comment they're putting in like a text form field uh like leaving a verbo review or something this they're editing the code of the website okay so there's that so now they already have access to edit the the page it's hiding in the comments which confuses me because commented code doesn't execute so i'm i'm a little confused on that and thirdly um they're using it to steal credit cards but Again, I don't understand, like if I'm on a website and I click through to a, you know, mage cart controlled 404 page, I don't understand where I'm putting the credit card information in at that point or how it's stealing it, unless it's like scrubbing it from the, uh, the browser's saved information. But I didn't get the indication that that was what was going on. Typically you can see right here, mage carts attack, our category of post exploitation technique, which means post exploitation means they already own the box which is what I just said, right? They have to have edit access to the HTML files. Um, so they can hijack forms, malicious redirects. Okay, this is all tracking. And you could see here, this example, I know this, this is like really fuzzy and stupid looking, but basically this is a website on the left here where you, you know you're doing the transaction, right? You're putting your credit card in to purchase yoga mat or something, right? Well, what Magecart's done here is they've actually overlaid the exact same form on top of the legit one. So you're filling out a credit card form that's actually uh, mage carts, not the one underneath it that you can't see because it's perfectly overlaid that goes to the legitimate vendor. Okay? So that that's a little bit of like how mage cart works about how uh, credit card skimming could work. Again, I don't understand the 404 part. Um I don't like I I guess what I don't understand is like um It triggers the 404 error and calls the malicious page. But when you get the malicious page, like, where are you putting the credit card information? I guess that's the only thing I'm kind of confused on. Um, Just know Magecart, know about credit card skimming is still a thing in 2023. And, um, you know, obviously you want to keep your uh, web servers clean and stuff. Good on Akamai, by the way. Akamai security researchers finding this. I appreciate that. Akamai is definitely a big player in kind of protecting the internet as a whole, excuse me, as a whole. I mean, they are a for-profit company, but you know what I mean.
1: Atlassian Confluence attacked by state-backed actors. Researchers at Microsoft's Threat Intelligence Unit disclosed that the Chinese state-backed group Storm0062 began exploiting a zero-day in Atlassian Confluence data center and server since at least September 14th. Atlassian itself disclosed the attack on October 4th, but at the time did not disclose the group behind the campaign. With the zero day, the attackers could create arbitrary admin accounts on endpoints. Researchers at Gray Noise said initial data on the attack show exploitation very limited at this point. However, Rapid7 released a proof of concept exploit with full documentation this week, and that could change the situation. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> all, right, all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. So there's a couple things going on here. One, if you're running Atlassian Confluence, um, you want to be mindful of this. Now, this bug is a privilege escalation bug, which means that the threat actors already have to own the box or have access to it uh, in some way. It's not a, um, you know, remote code execution or unauthenticated. Like it's priv which means they get access to some general user account and then they upgrade it to a root or system or admin level account. At that point, obviously you can create other admin accounts, which is what they used as an example in the story for an impact statement. Um, you know, Atlassian's a massive product. um, it's the database and backend data center um and server. You don't want that getting owned by bad guys in any capacity um they said that it uh, uh, um they said exploitation right now is being seen very limited, which just means that threat actors uh whoever's doing it um is probably sophisticated and has a very targeted individual that they're trying to hit, but because rapid7 released this full exploit on github you should expect this um uh exploitation to go up significantly okay i talked about it if you're new here you weren't here yesterday but if you're a regular here i literally spent five minutes yesterday or um tuesday going at length talking about proof of concept exploitations being released on github and how it lowers the barrier to entry for threat actors because say let's say on like a scale of 1 to 10 as far as technical acumen you're a 9 well yeah you can just exploit vulnerability uh you can even just take a patch reverse it figure out what they patched and then exploit that but let's say you're a 2 out of 10 on technical skill set technical acumen well I could tell you what the vulnerability is. I could tell you what, like, it's a buffer overflow. Here's where it is. This is, it's this library. That's the problem, right? But you're not sophisticated enough to develop code to successfully exploit it and exploit it consistently, right? Like, don't think that when you write malware or you write exploit code, that it works perfect every time, right? Different environments, different systems, different variables. It's it's when you write like really robust, rigorous, well running exploit code that's when your nation state level right nsa you know eight uh, operators they write robust code that's why when that's why when the uh, vault 7 leaks dropped and eternal blue came out it like like it was very scary and obviously double pulsar eternal blue wanna cry uh, loaded it and it went across the entire world blowing up stuff because it was so well written okay with code like this a2 out of 10 can now become like a six out of 10 or, or the, the barrier to entry goes down from like, you got to be at least a five out of 10 in order to exploit this vuln to a two out of 10. Like the only way you go from a two out of 10 to a one out of 10 is when there's a Metasploit module in it. Right. And then you just like Metasploit, run, exploit, and like you're off and running. Right. So hopefully I'm doing this justice as far as explaining why proof of concept? I mean, this isn't even a proof of concept. This is a full exploit, uh, by the way, right? There's proof of concept, which demonstrates that you can trigger the vulnerability. Then there's full exploit code, which is like exploit and cleanly, you know, it like cleanly exits or it gives you the opportunity. You're sitting on a shell uh, on the owned box, right? This one was a priv So obviously you run this code and now you're just sitting there with system admin privileges. So that's what's up. of the time, my reverse shells work 100% of the time. Thank you, BSEC. (laughs) All right, so anyways, that's what's up. TLDR, if you're running Atlassian Confluence, you absolutely should be mindful of this. Final thing I'll say, they mentioned the threat actor is Storm0062. Um, Any kind of weather system nomenclature is Microsoft's threat actor group. Like Storm, Blizzard, Sleet, Typhoon.
1: Adobe's icon of transparency. The company introduced a new symbol designed to be attached with content as part of its metadata to indicate if AI tools created it. Adobe created this as part of the Coalition for Content Provenance and Authenticity, or C2PA. This will roll out to Adobe's Creative Cloud suite of apps and eventually make its way to Microsoft's Bing image generator. When viewed online, users can mouse over the mark to view details on ownership, the AI tools used in its creation, and further details. While the C2PA includes industry heavyweights like Arm, Intel, and Microsoft, we did just cover a study last week that demonstrated how easily these AI watermarks can be washed away.
0: Yeah, Uh, really quickly, what's up, Anissa Redman? It's good to see Anissa Redman in chat today. Hey, like, so this is a good, uh, this is a nice move. Adobe adding some type of, uh, you know, uh, like it's an asterisk or disclaimer. Watermark that something's AI generated again. Um, really, shall we play a game? couple things to, to line up here one, there needs to be oversight, whether it's you know industry led or regulatory led. I don't care. I don't have a lot of faith, honestly, in US federal leadership to like stop bickering amongst themselves and, and have the, the chops to be able to help legislate and regulate AI right now. So, I'm happy. Very happy to see industry taking steps towards it. Um, we've already seen the likes of Google and Microsoft and uh, others, Meta, um, leading kind of industry initiatives around coming up with you know AI best practices. Europe's already moving forward with a lot of different things. So way to go, Adobe! I hope other um, you know businesses that are using AI, which is like most of them, uh, <clears throat> take this as a indicator of a good idea and it doesn't have it, you know it could be a watermark in the um like it's like using steganography right like you can you can bake in um hidden data into pictures or you know images and stuff like that glyphs um you can bake it in and not have it visible to the human eye but have it very visible like a beaconing light to a computer and by using these kind of watermarks and stamps we are going to be able to at least say that that was AI generated. Now, as they, com- you know, communicated in the story, it can be washed away. But, dude, don't let perfection get in the way of progress. And I wholly believe that philosophy. Right? Like, look at my look at Simply Cyber's daily cyber threat briefing podcast. Soundboard goes out. I do manual sounds. I don't just like crush the show and say, we'll be back tomorrow." Right? Like this is good. Let's keep going forward. Obviously. Um, this is an administrative control in a technical implementation. So people can wash it away. People can, you know, leverage it anyways. You can do it for, you know, m- disinformation, misinformation, but you know what? Hat tip to you, Adobe Hat tip to you. I like it. Plus I use all the Adobe, uh, suite products like Photoshop and premiere and after effects for simply cyber YouTube content. And, um, I really like Adobe's products, and they're putting AI in everything. Like, you can't launch an app by Adobe right now and it not come up with like a splash page, and it's like, "Hey, Jerry, got some AI here for you. Check it out." Shall we? Study warns MJ? about AI
1: energy usage. A new study in the journal Joule from Alex Devries, a PhD candidate at VU Amsterdam, School yeah, of Business, get it, get that PhD. The AI industry will consume 85 to 134 terawatt hours of electricity per year by 2027. He based these figures on supply and sales estimates of NVIDIA's high-end chips expected to supply 95% of the industry. De Vries framed this as roughly the same annual energy consumption by the Netherlands, or about 0.5% of current global consumption overall. The study only accounts for energy used by the chips themselves, not accounting for any additional data center cooling needed to operate them. Speaking to the BBC, the data center firm Data Vita said AI focused racks consume about 20
0: times more power than a standard rack right now. And now- All right, so this is pretty cool. Um, you know, wh- what like, hey, what's up, dude? Like, lo- lo- love, love, uh, love PhD research. I know it's not for everybody, but uh, this dude's doing his thing. I will tell you, um, shouldn't come as a surprise. Um, you know, big tech takes lots of energy, right? Like think of five years ago when people are like moving to Greenland to set up crypto mining farms, just so they could cool it. Right. It costs energy to cool things. It costs energy to run things. It, you know, it costs energy. Now I will say like, you know, not to be tongue in cheek, Shall we play a game? but maybe we could get AI on solving, you know, its own problem of energy consumption, right? Like, you know, put it to, put it to use. Um, I will say, you know, this is true. However, you got to think like, and this is like, allow me just a minute to be a little nerdy. Okay. When you do a research specifically a PhD dissertation, which it sounds like this is what this guy's doing or really any research, you need to uh, explain how you came to your conclusions. And in this case, he's assuming, um, what is it? Uh, looking at the amount of computers expected to deliver by 2027, he estimated the uh, consumption. Okay. So think about that for a second, looking at what market said, they're going to ship in the next four years, which market typically will over, you know, over like, you know, like Dell is going to be like, Oh, we're shipping a billion laptops or, you know, like, I'm sure they're somewhat realistic, but, I feel like corporate capitalism, they're going to lean on the side of like bigger numbers because that means bigger revenue, which means great cash, homie. Right, so, so there's one thing. Second of all, um, AI is definitely consuming some of this information uh, or some of this data. Uh, oh my God, Jerry, some of this energy. But, you know, I don't know. He said that NVIDIA supplies about 95% of the AI processing kit required by the sector. So if I'm running like ChatGPT, you know, every query into ChatGPT is running through an NVIDIA GPU stack somewhere. I don't know. Um, The final thing I'll say is, um, in in, in, this isn't published yet, but in any uh, uh, academic research, there is a section that you have to add, or you should if your research is going to be considered rigorous, called limitations. And the limitations section outlines you know biases or concerns or areas so like maybe he only looked at like five computers or when he said uh global production for um computers until 2027 like i'm not saying he did this but like he picked like one company and the one company said oh we're gonna ship a million laptops you know for easy numbers a million laptops by 2027 and he goes okay so one company a million laptops and there's 500 companies. That make product in the market so I'll just say that that one company's representative of all 500 so now I'm going to just say there's 500 million uh, laptops expected to ship by 2027 you see what I'm saying like when you when you do research there are certain limitations that get introduced and you have to document them uh, in order to be transparent with your research so I'd be interested to see this but um, I will tell you this this is the first time I've heard anyone um, I've heard anyone mention kind of a practical uh, constraint of AI. Everybody is like, AI, 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 put AI in everything. Um, but yeah, if there is an energy component to it that's going to limit it, then we definitely got to be concerned about that. I will just point out too, um, as I'm thinking about it, like this is like more of a, uh, having a beer at the bar kind of conversation, but like between AI, quantum computing, crypto, Like there's a lot of high energy consuming technology going on right now. Um, So definitely interesting. I I hope to see things like leveraging, you know, there was some talk about leveraging the ocean in order to cool things much faster by like basically, you know, having the water soak out uh, the heat. Uh, obviously up in Greenland, like these these more Arctic type areas, uh, just the natural environment. You don't need to air conditioning. Basically, if you've ever been to Texas, right? And I know many of you are from Texas. If you've ever been to Texas and you've gone to a data center, you have to put on a freaking uh, like North Face jacket with like the fur around it. Because even though it's like 150 degrees outside and cook an egg on the sidewalk, the data center is freezing cold because they have to keep it that way and air conditioning data centers right is not free it it costs money and it takes a lot of energy so i mean some i i wouldn't even be surprised now this is a hot take speculation then i'll move on hot take speculation I, hold on i don't want ai i wouldn't be surprised honestly and and chat if you know one way or the other let me know i wouldn't be surprised if um like where amazon's like aws AW East, AW West, where Google East, Google West, Google Fed Cloud, like where those massive data centers are, Terramark in um, Virginia, I bet you, I bet you they have their own power plant there. I bet you they have their own power plant running the power for those data centers. A, from a business continuity perspective, because then they don't have to rely on the energy uh, from a third-party provider. But more importantly, Because of the freaking amount of energy that they're consuming, it's probably cheaper, literally cheaper to build and man a power plant than it is to purchase raw power off the grid. Just my thoughts. Maybe do some research on that later. Now, A word from our sponsor, HyperProof. It's more critical than ever to focus
1: on strategically addressing risk, but how can you do it when working with limited resources? That's where HyperProof comes in. HyperProof is a risk and compliance operations platform that helps you automate evidence collection, task management, and collaboration within your organization so you can focus on what matters most, keeping your company secure by prioritizing strategy, not manual processes. Get
0: a demo at hyperproof.io. All right. So really quickly, just really quickly, um, just, just Google this really quick. Uh, Amazon's new data centers in Oregon will be supported by on-site power generation from fuel cells running on natural gas. AWS describes this as a short-term strategy to customers in its US West region until its renewable energy agreements ramp up. Okay. So they're they're actually doing both on-prem power plants and consuming from the grid, probably because they have that much freaking need. But anyways, um, I'm just... Anytime I make a speculative hot take, I wanted to uh, say what's up. All right, guys. If you're new here, I don't know if we have any first timers, and that's okay. But we do this every day. All right. Hey, hey, hey! Don't you forget about me, guys. I want to say thank you, all, all of you. Thanks, Peter Lee. Thanks, Anisa Redman. Thanks, Dream Logic. Thanks, Funky Monk. Guys thank you so very much for being here today and thank you for being here every day whether you're on replay or team live it's genuinely heartwarming to start my day with you and for all of you to be supportive and inclusive of each other i see it like even when i'm not around you guys hooking each other up sharing wins it's like so freaking awesome and it it was really always the goal of simply cyber so if you want to play it Pay it forward and help somebody else today. Do me a favor and hit the like button, okay? Hit the like button on YouTube. I know it sounds trite and whatever, and it's not like a cringy thing. It literally helps other people find the show. Hit the like button, help somebody find the show. I want to say thanks again to the stream sponsors, Barricade and Anti-Siphon, and also Penopsi Security. Listen, Penopsi Security, guys, get a security partner who understands your program and can help you be successful go to panopsy.com talk to their uh, leadership over there and basically get a, an assessment business in a three-year roadmap on what to do on order to mature it if you are in charge of information security at your business and you are reactive and don't know what the hell you're doing it's okay it's okay to ask for help I'm not judging you okay you might be really good at really be good at like system administration and you've been saddled with information security that's okay get some help an security can seriously help people get organized and become proactive and ultimately reduce cyber risk sleeping better at night is the goal here all right we got the simply cyber community challenge every single day somebody new gets the baton micah romain, romain is in uh hopefully in chat micah if you're there I do not see, oh yeah, yes I do. All right, hold on, hold on. All right, so here's the deal. Micah Romine has the baton. If you want to supercharge your LinkedIn feed and build a LinkedIn network that's meaningful and has cybersecurity supportive people, do the following for free. Go to LinkedIn, search for this hashtag, Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Connect with the people who are posting on that challenge. Connect to the people in the comments on that challenge. They are expecting the connection, believe me. Then, and this is the magic part, comment on the post. When you comment on the posts, the next person who goes and connects with the poster and the commenters will connect with you. You will mushroom cloud your LinkedIn network, but it won't be bots and trash. It'll be simply cyber community members, cybersecurity community members, Your feed will start having rich, robust, valuable information in it, and the people you'll be chatting with are cool. Jump on the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. All right. Now listen, every single Thursday, my friend Dan Reardon, Simply Cyber Community member, AKA Haircut Fish, makes a custom meme. I do not censor it, I do not approve it, I just let it fly. Now, many of you know if you listen to the show on Monday that I went to a Bucky's over the weekend for the first time in my life, and I'm still recovering from it. Well, Dan took advantage of that, and here we are. Meme of the week. This is me at Bucky's. Welcome to Bucky's! All right. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Dan. Still having PTSD.
1: Signs California's DELETE Act,
0: we previously covered that the
1: California Legislature passed the DELETE Act. It's now been signed into law. The act directs the California Privacy Protection Agency to create a new tool to allow citizens to request all data brokers to delete personal information with a single request. The law requires the CPPA to create the tool by the start of 2026. This act doesn't change the privacy protections introduced with the California Privacy Rights Act, but it makes it easier for citizens to act on those protections.
0: As- All right, so this is insane. Uh, I can't believe this got through, uh, honestly. Um, one second. do 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 Does anybody use Delete Me? Delete me is a company that helps people uh, clear off their personal data. They've been like they ping me a lot to do work with them, and I just haven't had time to evaluate them and see if they're legit or not. Um, all right, so here's the deal. Um, first of all, California in the United States is definitely the most forward-leaning, privacy-centric state of them all. They have like the the most stringent privacy laws. You know, they're as close to GDPR as you can get, even though they're like light years before uh, behind GDPR. And now they've passed this law that makes one request all you need to have data brokers delete your information. Okay, guys, this is massive. Now, when I say, I can't believe this got passed through, think about how much money data brokers have. When I say how much money, I'm talking. Great cash, homie. That Like so much money. We live in the data age, right? Data is the new, we live in the AI age actually, but like data is the new gold in the current age we're living in. And if you have more data, you have everything. And I can't believe that the data brokers couldn't spend enough money to fight this. Believe me, I don't know all the details of this story, but I bet you if you dig into it, I bet you if you dig into it, there's no doubt that lobbyists and data broker lobbyists fought this tooth and nail. Okay. I love it. Now, what sucks is I, I want to know the devil's in the details, right? So is this like for California citizens only? And if a data broker has sold data to a company outside the United States, that's a data broker, you know, do the, does it get deleted there? Like when you say delete everything on a person with one request, like, What's the exposure of that? Cause you and I both know once the data is out, it's out, like it's on the internet, it's, it's gone. You can't really delete it all. I do appreciate this when I tell you guys, for, well, first of all, I hope this, this, I hope this becomes more of a uh, standard or inspires other groups to do this. And thanks by the way, for letting me know about delete me, I'm actually going to reach out to them and, um, you know, move forward with a collaboration on them. But, uh, I I bring this up from time to time. It's been a while since I brought it up, but dude, last week tonight with John Oliver, oh my God. Where is it on YouTube, bro? Like here it is on YouTube, but I I, I want, I don't, I like, oh my God, oh my God. All right, hold on. Uh, John Oliver last week tonight, uh, data brokers. Okay, I wanna give you a link This is absolutely well worth your time. Here it is. In my opinion, this is an awesome, really well-produced comprehensive cover of data brokers. So if you don't know anything about data brokers, there's a link. It's like 15, it's 25 minutes. It's incredibly entertaining and informative and you will be freaking stunned when you see what they have access to. Okay. By the way, just as like a quick little aside, I was having a conversation with somebody this weekend. Okay. That works in debt, um, debt re- like retrieval or whatever you want to call it. Like, like say, say like, you know, whatever you owe a company some money or something and you don't pay, you don't pay it. And then they sell it to a debt collection agency. That's right. He works for a debt collection agency, like one of the biggest in the world. And he said, like, he's like data brokers, man. He's like, it's awesome. He goes, I can use a data broker to see how much money you have in your bank account. Right. Cause if you have zero dollars in your bank account, I'm not going to waste any time um, asking you to pay y- your debt. <laughs> but if you have a lot of money, I'm going to invest a lot of resources into going after you. That's just like one, that's just one example, one use case, one, one, one tiny detail, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, of what th- these data brokers can do. So I love it. Way to go, California. Um, I will tell you, there was a push a little while ago for a federal. Privacy law and part of the part of the trade-off was that um whatever like all states would have to lower their privacy standards to meet the federal law and California was like, bro, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? So way to go, California. Way to go, Gavin Newsom. This is newsworthy. Uh, and if you live in California, I absolutely would freaking take full advantage of this. Uh ASAP. Yeah, exactly. Alana. Alana knows what's up.
1: CC investigating 2018 Twitter security lapse. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission began a probe into how the social platform, now known as X, exposed personal information of users five years ago. Bloomberg sources say the agency will look at if executives at the time failed to disclose these privacy issues to shareholders or subsequently created controls to prevent it from happening again. At the time, a bug on the platform let anyone view user email addresses during a password reset attempt.
0: All right. I was, I, <laughs> I was reading mod chat. Um, so Twitter security lapse. the SEC is investigating it. I don't know why the SEC is investigating it now is it five years ago. Um, uh, doo, doo, doo. especially because of like how much change has happened at SEC, um, at Twitter, um, since they've, you know, jumped over. I, I don't know what this is. Is this like a news report? W I O N. I don't even know what this is. Um, after 10 months of pressing them in every direction. We... All right. I, I don't I don't know what this is. Um, I don't have much to say on this. Okay, look, the SEC is investigating Twitter. Like, it's another day ending in why Twitter's doing all sorts of crazy things. This has to do with a security lapse. Something to do with being able to reset passwords. I don't know. Uh, if I had to guess, it's not going to d- d- turn into anything. Um, unless you're like Enron and you're like unbelievably grossly screwing over shareholders. Um, The SEC typically, you know, will investigate and report and stuff, but I've never seen an SEC really come out and like straight up, you know, blacklist a company from being exchanged and stuff like that. Uh, Okay. So it looks like Micah is trying to pass the baton to IonQ. Hey, IonQ. We got to know, buddy. You want the baton or what? You want the Simply Cyber baton? All around at us. Let us know in chat. All right. I'm just going to move from this Twitter story.
1: Exchange anti-spam rules breaks mail delivery. Numerous users reported receiving server-busy error messages from Exchange Online, impacting a subset of Microsoft 365 customers globally. This resulted in delays or the inability to receive outside mail. Microsoft confirmed the issue on October 11th, saying it began an investigation. The company later updated to say the issue appears linked to an erroneous triggering of anti-spam rules where some IP addresses received false positive spam flags. As of this writing, Microsoft said it's still working on a remediation plan. It's unclear
0: how many users this error impacted. All right, so here's the deal. Okay, here's the deal. Nothing is perfect, okay? Exchange on-prem, hot trash. Let me use the emote here. Uh, here we go. We do have a dumpster fire emote for this reason. Exchange on-prem, hot trash. So move to Exchange Online. Okay, well, Exchange Online has, you know, delivery issues because of anti-spam. Here's here's the deal. Microsoft is doing their best to um, help consumers, clients, businesses manage their stuff, right? So if Microsoft sees, you know, like some type of flare up of, Emotet design malware email campaigns or some type of like geek squad thing coming out of wherever, right? They'll write rules for you at scale that will prevent those emails from coming in. If you, like, here's the deal, unless you're like a massive organization and this really, I'm about to like, I feel like BSEC of all people is gonna be the one that says preach on this, but a lot of you are probably going to empathize with this and it'll resonate. Here's the deal. If you are in charge of InfoSec at your organization, but it's a smaller organization, right? Like less than say, you know, 5,000 people. Chances are you're responsible for exchange online, but like, that's just like part of your job, right? So you go in, you kind of set it up once, maybe you check it periodically. But you don't, it's like your day-to-day, you're not in exchange online. You have too many other things. You're respon- you've you got like uh, EDR alerts to look at, or you're in meetings, oh, meetings, right? Or you're looking at, you know, whatever's coming up the next quarter. You're doing a project for like a server upgrade or firewall upgrade, or you're moving in network segmentation, or you're evaluating next-gen firewalls, SD-WAN. Like what, I don't care. But whatever it is, most people who are responsible for exchange aren't like That's not their full-time job. They're not an exchange admin. They are doing it as part of their job. So Microsoft well aware of this goes and develops like rules for you and puts them in place. And it basically is like an extra set of hands. Thanks Microsoft. Like if it's obviously a gross malicious email, you don't want to have to be like, oh my God, like user reported it. Let's go in. Let's look. Let's create a spam rule. It's like five minutes of time, right? Which doesn't sound bad. But when you amplify it a thousand X, your entire day, all day is writing stupid spam rules because guess what? Threat actors, they love sending in some phishing emails. That's their jam. And with AI, they're getting through a lot more. So yeah, but here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes you get false positives. Sometimes the rules too... Um, rigid or too brittle or, you know, and it causes outages. And by the way, an outage basically means that, you know, either all, probably not all, but some emails are not getting through. With an an anti-spam rule getting all flummoxed up, chances are the emails are still sitting on your account. They're just in quarantine. So like technically, you know, a human can go in, right-click, you know, uh, approve, send, right-click, approve, send, select all, right-click, approve, send. Like, so the emails aren't being deleted. They're not being rejected. They're not being sent back. They're sitting in quarantine. And obviously Microsoft's working on this. They got a ton of people. So just, you know, use this as an opportunity to realize that nothing's perfect. And um, hopefully if there's any flare up from the business side, the executives like, oh, we moved on to online. Exchange online, Jerry, because you said to, and now it's, it's jerked up. Like, let's go back to on-prem. No, no. Okay. Just crap happens sometimes have another, uh, you know, get your blackberry, have a, a, a caramel macchiato or whatever, and just chill out business side. I got this. Okay.
1: SEC investigates move it. In a regulatory filing, Progress Software disclosed that the US SEC opened an investigation into the rash of hacks coming from the vulnerability in its MoveIt managed file transfer product. The company received a subpoena for documents and information related to the vulnerability. MSISOF estimates the MoveIt attacks impacted over 2500 organizations. In the filing, Progress said costs related to the vulnerability amounted to around $1 million but said losses could mount after 23 customers launched legal action against it as well as the 58 class action lawsuits filed by individuals. Progress Software also said a separate security incident in November 2022 could result in a further 4.2 million dollar cost.
0: Okay bro like so if if It thinks they're going to get away from this for like for for 4 million dollars you 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 you're wrong you're so wrong. Oh my God. Like, dude, right now they're, they're estimating cost at a million dollars. I'm not saying that I'm like a millionaire running around. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, but move it. And, and really quick, if you don't know what we're talking about, move it is a piece of software that allows businesses to basically transfer data, right? It's for like business continuity and backups and stuff. It had a major, major vulnerability. It's implemented in lots of places in a group called the Clop ransomware gang exploited it wholesale, right? Like they were like um, Boromir and like the ghost squad running into and wherever they did. I know I'm getting my Lord of the Rings all jacked up, but basically they went hard real quick. And I mean, they got so many victims data that they didn't even know what they had. They're still piecing through it, but people like Sony department of energy um, like uh, there were so many major, like major, major, businesses impacted um and they're still coming out of the woodwork so sec investigating this yes in, in reality um there's two things going on here one all the class action lawsuits if i'm sony and i have a class action lawsuit against me that results in like say five million dollars worth of damages if i'm sony i'm turning around and i'm suing progress for those damages i'm not absorbing that get out of here with that man great cash homie so it's not a good look now I will tell you this too, the SEC, um, and we, some people have asked about this before on the channel, move. It did not do anything grossly negligent. Okay. Software is written by humans. Humans make mistakes. This was a big mistake. And the threat actors discovered it and exploited it. They were not negligent. Okay. They were not, um, you know, incompetent. They try to release patches right away. The patches introduce new vulnerabilities, right? Again, humans, software. So I don't think the SEC's investigation is going to reveal some type of like stupid situation where they were just running hard and uh, saying, "Oh, f f security, like we don't have time for this. Let's go. We're trying to get to market, make money." So I don't think there's any there's any, any impact from the SEC on Moveit. Uh, I think Moveit is going to get hammered from a financial perspective. And I hope they have good lawyers. If I was general counsel at Move It right now, I'd, I'd probably um, have a drinking problem. Let me see if we can find this person. General counsel, uh, progress, software. All right, here we go. Leadership, where is he? Legal. Oh, you fan Stephanie Wang, I am so sorry. This woman right here, absolutely. Absolutely is um got it tough for the next uh for the next little while. I almost wonder. I'm I'm sorry, now I'm just doing like OSINT on her. I want to see if she was there before the hack or if they brought her in. Oh yeah. She's only been there a year. Oh she's been there a year. And uh actually look at this guys. Look at this. I, I don't know if you can see this on stream. Okay. She was VP and Deputy General Counsel up until June of last year. Then up until September of last year, acting chief counsel, and then September twenty two, she became chief legal counsel. So um she was, you know, well entrusted six months before this issue happened. So she's got um Yep, yeah, she's she at least she's familiar with the business, right? But damn, that's tough. Dang. All right. Um, we'll see what happens with the SEC. All right. So check it out. We are at time. Let me do this. All right, guys, if you enjoyed the show, thanks so much for being here. I hope you come back tomorrow. I want to share some exciting news with you. One, later today, I'm having a fireside chat with Ian Anderson. Uh, Ian Anderson is a senior manager of enterprise security in Oklahoma, but he's also got a boatload of experience doing InfoSec in municipalities and that's one of the many things we're going to be talking about we're also going to be talking about higher ed cybersecurity realities because he's a teacher um in higher ed and he's responsible for it ot and physical security we're going to have a great conversation 4 30 p.m eastern time so just a few hours from now uh come check that out and then um kind of a uh, one-off situation tomorrow at 4 Tomorrow at 4 p.m., so Friday, October 13th at 4 p.m., we are going to be doing a wet run of Simply CyberCon. This is track one. Track two is on the SC Cafe channel. Uh, This is going to be a full walkthrough of the tech stack. It's not the conference. It's just us trying to figure it out. It's a dry run, except we're going to be drinking beers, so we're calling it a wet run because that's fun. Um, If you want to come help us out, I would love it. Appreciate it. Um, It'll be streaming on YouTube chat will be in discord. We're going to do the tech stack and the discord bots and all that stuff. So get ready for all of that. All right, guys. All right, guys. Want to thank everybody uh, for being here today. I do have to go um, and boogie out of here, but thank you all so very much. If you enjoyed the show, come back tomorrow. I'm, I'm Jerry. Yes, I do know that. That that did not end in a question mark. That was actually a statement. I'm Jerry, your chat until next time, y'all be well and stay secure. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that content. Keep the cybersecurity train going by connecting with the other Simply Cyber community resources. We have the Discord server that's lively and always keeps the conversation going. You can connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And also every single weekday morning on the Simply Cyber channel, we're doing live daily cyber threat briefings, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as well as Thursday at 4.30 p.m. We're doing live stream interviews with industry experts, and we produce videos that we push out every Wednesday morning. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. I hope you enjoyed the content, and we'll see you in the next one.